Good seeing you this morning, and we are going to finish up borrowed time today. Before we get into it, though, just a reminder to our student ministry is up at winter weekend, and I, I've been talking with Luke some off and on through the weekend, and they seem to be having a great time. And they took over just over 100 kids up, and uh, I think God's been working there. Last night was a session that was geared more specifically for the gospel. And, uh, and texting with Luke this morning, he didn't have an exact number, but thought there was around 10 kids that responded to the gospel last night and indicated they were trusting Christ for the first time. So we're excited about that and glad, yeah. And I believe their final session is going on right now. And so why don't we stop, pray for them. They'll be headed back this afternoon. Let's pray for them right now. God, we thank you for the day and thank you for what's going on. Uh, up at camp, and we pray, God, that you'd uh, use this weekend to impact and encourage those kids to walk uh, faithfully before you. Thank you, God, for uh, for uh, impacting those kids last night, and pray, God, that they would grow in their faith. Bless their time right now as they're spending time in your word, and Father, we pray for safety as they travel home uh, this afternoon, and God, we pray you bless our time. Thank you that we get to spend time in your word, and we ask God that you be honored through it all. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Borrowed time. We're all on it, right? You probably saw yesterday where Larry King uh, passed away, and uh, I saw later where Franklin Graham had posted a clip where his dad was being interviewed by Larry King back in 1988, and uh, they were talking about the issue of death. And I wanted to play that clip for you this morning. Death is something people don't like to talk about or read about, and certainly don't like in the title of books. Yes. Unless uh, it's fiction. I would say that two or three of the editors felt that it uh, was not the kind of a book that I ought to be writing. Why'd you write? But I felt that uh, the Lord wanted me to write it because we face death every day. It's the most democratic thing in the whole world. It brings us all to the same level. Everybody's going to die. And as Bernard Shaw says, it's the greatest statistic in the world. One out of every one uh, dies. And C.S. Lewis, uh, the uh, British uh, professor, uh, said that war does not increase death. He said uh, death is total in every generation. Everybody <laughs> that we see walking on the streets, everybody that uh, we see every day, they're all going to be dead. And we all fear it. And we all fear it. And we have a right to. It's called the last enemy. It's called the great enemy. It's called the king of terrors. How does Billy Graham report you? Well, since I have received Christ into my heart, uh, the sting of death is gone. Now, for example, uh, last summer, my wife and I were coming back from Europe. We were on a plane. And suddenly there was an explosion. We thought a bomb had gone off. And the dishes went everywhere and the, uh, the things oxygen. came down. The oxygen mask came down, all that sort of thing. And we never learned what happened. We were told later it was a bomb. And it was on an Air France plane. And um, they were having a lot of difficulty at that time. And uh, I didn't uh, feel nervous at that moment. It was too quick. But a little bit later, I began to feel nervous. And I thought to myself, am I afraid to die? And then I thought, uh, again, that it's instinctive to want to live. I mean, that's something God gave us. And if we don't have that sense of self-preservation, we would all die. We might go out and commit suicide. But I'm not afraid of death. I'm looking forward to death itself. I'm not looking forward to the dying process. In one of the great speeches ever made the night before he died, a man you knew very well, Dr. Martin Luther King said, if the Lord were to take me now, 
I have been to the top of the mountain. That's right. I've seen the other side. You have as well. That's right. I have seen the other side. And I've been with Martin Luther King, and we talked about it a number of times. Uh, mm. We went to Latin America together and spent a couple of weeks in Brazil together. What's there? What's on the other side? On the other side is either heaven or hell. That's true. That's what the Bible teaches. And you believe it. And I believe it. Yes. And I believe that uh, for the believer and for the ones that uh, the Lord is going to take to heaven, it's going to be a gigantic experience. It's going to be, isn't it? And we're looking forward to that one day. And uh, God's uh, done an amazing thing to give us a chance to, in, in a sense, see the other side, to see what's on top of the mountain, to know what we're heading for one day. Thankful for that truth. Thankful for the clarity of, of uh, Billy Graham's answer regarding heaven and hell and uh, the sure, straightforward answer that he gave. We're all on borrowed time, and we get it. We know we're not promised another day. And that's really not a negative for us, those of us who are in Christ, because like Billy said, the sting's gone. Because if we know Christ, we know where we're headed, we know when we're done. What we have ahead of us is better by far. But as long as we're here, that shortness of our time should be a driving force for us. We've been looking at what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, knowing that he, Paul, didn't have long. We know they had a close relationship. Paul, in fact, calls him his, his child in the faith. So they're very close. And we're down now to what Paul believes might be his last words to Timothy. He's hoping they'll see each other again, but there's no guarantee and so he writes what we have as the final chapter of 2 Timothy. It's very personal. And there's several key issues going on here we want to look at. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, what I want us to see first of all is the command that he's given. First one, verse 1 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Wow, that sounds, some, that's some powerful stuff right there. It sounds pretty formal. It almost seems out of place though, doesn't it? I mean, if you're writing your last words, to a close friend, you probably wouldn't make it sound so formal. But I think what's going on here is what's about to come next is so important that the stage has to be set. He wants Timothy in the right mindset. And so he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of, in the eyesight of, God and of Christ Jesus. And, and, and just a side note here. In Greek grammar, there's a rule. Don't you hate grammar rules? <laughs> but in Greek grammar, there's a rule that says if you've got two singular nouns, and they're talking about a person, and they're joined by a, a, a conjunction like we have here, and the definite article appears before the first noun, which we don't see in the English, but it's there in the Greek, and, there's the, and the, the second noun doesn't have a definite article, then both nouns refer to the same person. So what you've got here is a, really a statement on Jesus' deity. Paul's saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, that is Christ Jesus. Jesus is God, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. The, holy, the, the whole human race will stand before him to be judged. And by his appearing in his kingdom, I mean, you want more motivation to do what God commands us to do? Jesus is going to personally show up and begin his kingdom. 
So because of all that, because he's watching, because he's coming back, because he's coming to judge, here's what Paul commands Timothy in verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn, away, turn, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, because God's watching, because Jesus is going to come and he's going to, Timothy, preach the word. You tell people the truth, the whole body of revealed truth. This book should be the source of every sermon. It's where every sermon should start. It's where every sermon should end. It should be its, find its direction there, its purpose there, its subject there. And you say, yeah, I'm all for that. That's, that's great. That's, you know, especially because it's written to a pastor, Timothy, who, and, and I'm not a pastor, so you know, no, no skin on my teeth. You know, I don't have to worry about this. But it does tell us, all of us, what our focus should be on God's word. Hearing it preached, getting it into our thinking, getting it into our lives. And while you might not stand up to give a sermon, if you're a believer, you do have a responsibility to share truth with others. And Paul's command to Timothy is a reminder of how important that responsibility is. But Timothy's given more instruction. He's to preach the word. He's to be ready, to be prepared, to preach the word in season and out of season. Preach it in season, when it seems right, when you feel like it, when it's easy, when the circumstances seem favorable, when it's convenient, when it's welcomed. Preach the word. Preach it when it's in season and preach it out of season, when it doesn't seem right, when you don't feel like it, when it's tough, when the circumstances seem unfavorable, when it's not convenient, when it's not welcomed, when people don't like it, you preach it anyway. See, there's no closed season on giving out the truth. Then you be ready, in season, out of season, and you be prepared to preach the word at any time. And then he says, reprove. Not the fun part, reprove. That's correcting people. That's pointing out sin. Gotta do that. Point it out, convincing people of wrong. And then rebuke, that's taking it another step, a little step further. That's actually now not just pointing it out, but now you're saying, cut it out. Stop it, turn from it. And he says, you're to exhort people to encourage them because you're not just banging them on the head with truth. You're to encourage them, begging them, urging them to do what's right. And Timothy, you do that with great patience. You know why? Because sometimes it takes a while. 
You do it with great patience and you do it with instruction because you're given direction now, not just pointing out where the wrong is, but you want to do the, tell them how to do the right, where the right is. It's a huge responsibility. You're going to need to do that because there's a tendency for people, as he tells us in verse 3, to accumulate teachers. They're piling them up. That happens a lot today, doesn't it? There's a lot of teachers out there. And some of them are great. Some of them not so great. People want to accumulate teachers. And so why... Sometimes, if they're not careful, it's so as Paul puts it here, to have their ears tickled. <laughs> sort of strange sounding, isn't it? What they were looking for is a massage instead of a message. It's, and it's easy to get into that. We want teachers who make it easy on our ears. We want juicy bits of information that we can grab hold of that say something to us. But the deal is we need teachers that point us to the truth. And that doesn't always feel so good. Sometimes it's a little like having surgery without having anesthesia. Because we have to cut out stuff that we're attached to. Sometimes we might need to leave church not feeling so good. You know, if there's disobedience in our lives, we should be burdened by our sin. If we've got sin that we haven't turned from, we shouldn't expect to be able to fit, sit in church and feel good about it. If we're turning from truth, even, either in our beliefs or in the way we live, the truth should challenge us. Truth will challenge us to change what we're doing. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you be, you be sober in all this. Be sober. That, that, that doesn't mean that you can't, you have to be stern. That doesn't mean you can't smile and have a good time. Being sober has, is talking about keeping your head. Being controlled. Be calm and collected in all things. Keep your head. It's a little like what Pastor Kevin talked about in week one with, with self-control. It's a different word, but similar idea. You keep your head in all things. Keep your head in hardship. Keep your head in hardship. You know, expect it. It's going to come. And don't quit because of it. Keep your head in your focus. Do the work of an evangelist. That, that doesn't mean Timothy was supposed to go hold special meetings all over the place. That's about keeping the focus on reaching people who don't know Jesus. So, Timothy, your methods and your message should always be turned that way. Keep your head in your effort. Fulfill your ministry. Leave nothing undone. Do what you were called to do. Discharge all the duties. Be active. Be driven. Complete the work, the ministry that God has given you to do. That's for all of us. Complete the work. Whatever it is that God has given us, do it fully. Timothy was to preach the word. That's the command. The next issue is the completion. What Paul does next is describe where he's at, where he's been, and where he's going. These verses, they always, they speak to me, challenge me. 
about where I want to be at the end of my life, whenever that may be. Paul says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. So good. Every Christian wants to end their life like this, right? I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Remember what drink offerings were in the Old Testament law when sacrifices were being made and they'd lay the animal on the altar and they'd pour the drink offering, the wine, the juice on top of the, the animal and around the altar and it would burn there. And if you remember when that, when that was, as that was burning in the fire, the, the, the smoke would arise and they called that a sweet aroma to God. It enhanced the sacrifice, a sweet aroma to God. Paul's looking at his life now and he says, I'm, I, I'm, I'm dying. My, my time for departure has come, but, but this is all, this is all part of God's plan. This is all a sweet aroma to God. It's a, I'm a drink offering to him. It's honoring to him. It's pleasing to God. That's where he's at. His life is about over. He sees it as part of God's plan, and he's good with it. Then he talks about where he's been. He said, I fought the good fight. If that sounds egotistical to you, yeah, I fought a good fight. Then you're sort of missing the point that Paul's making. You got to catch what he's saying here. The word good's not describing how Paul fought. It's describing the fight itself. I fought the fight, which is good. And it's got that definite article from the good fight. You know, there's a lot of fights we can get involved in, a lot of causes we can give our lives to. And get involved in all kinds of stuff. And some of it's fine. Some of it's good. But if it's not helping us to fight the good fight, it's distracting us from what God has for us. At the end of your life, you want to know that what you've done is what, is what God wanted you to do. Fight the good fight. Finish the course. Paul says, I finished the course. He ran a complete race. He finished. The athletes... You've maybe heard it described as they'd run into the stadium, like if they were running a marathon, and they'd come into the stadium. At one end, would, at the far end, would be the, the pillar that stood for the end of the race. And so they'd focus on that pillar so that they could exert the most energy they could to get to the end, finish the race. And why would Paul tell Timothy that? Why would Paul be stressing that to Timothy here? Because some people don't finish. And we're not talking about people who lose their salvation. It's a totally different topic. We don't believe that could happen according to Scripture. But some people get offended because something happens at church. And they quit. They walk away. You know, they didn't like something that was said in the sermon, or they didn't like something in the music, or they didn't like the way the vote went on the carpet color, you know. And, and so they, they quit. They walk away. 
Some people, they, they find out, oh, the Christian life isn't so easy. And there's difficulties to it, and there's struggle, and we've got to put energy into it. And they don't like it, so they quit. Some people, they think God hasn't done them right. You know, they go through some difficulty in life. They have some loss, some, and, 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 and they turn wondering where God is. And they quit. Some people get involved in some sin. They love it more than they love God. And they walk away, they quit. And some people, sometimes, you know what, I think we just sometimes, we get tired. We get burdened by all the issues of life. Maybe we've been serving for a long time in church and it feels like somebody else should take over for me because I'm just, and we're just tired. And so instead of finishing the race, we just sit down. We don't walk away, we just sit down. And we quit. Paul says, I finished the race. I finished the race. You know, sometimes we talk about uh, the, the, the greatest generation, those Americans who grew up during the Great Depression and then went and fought World War II or helped in some way to, for the cause of fighting World War II, and, 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 and they finished. You know, but the greatest thing I think about that generation isn't just the sacrifice that they paid, and it was a great sacrifice, but it was the fact that they finished things. They complete, they stayed in it till it was done. I was just down to the week or, a week or so ago to, to my to aunt's funeral. It's just a graveside because of COVID and just family down in Georgia and uh, and and uh, as as I did the, that service, I was just I was talking about the fact of how she sort of came from that generation, um, and uh, was a person who just didn't give up on things. She didn't back out on things. She worked for the same bank for forty years. Worked for the same bank for forty years, and never once did she call in sick. The only time she ever took off was her vacation. She, otherwise, she was at work every day. There's something solid about that. There's something honorable about that. And it's that way spiritually as well. It's that way with the race that we're in. When you come to the end of your life, will you be able to say, I've finished the race? Paul said he kept the faith. The idea there is, is, is how you compete. Keeping the faith. It's like a, an athlete who guarded the integrity of the game. You know? They played according to the rules. They kept things straight. They guarded the integrity of the game. What Paul is saying here is, 
as, and he certainly knew about guarding the faith. I mean, he, he, had, he had done it against numerous groups. He, did, he guarded the faith against the Judaizers. He guarded the faith against the early forms of Gnosticism. He guarded the faith against the philosophers in Athens. He guarded the faith by the things he taught, and he guarded it by the way he lived his life. Are we keeping the faith? Do we do what we do, guarding that faith by our teaching and by our lives? That's where Paul's been in life. He finished the race, he kept the faith, he fought the good fight. That sweet aroma. You know, I was talking about that earlier. I've, in the first service, I mentioned that, and I said, you, I mentioned the fact that I've gotten into smoking meat in the last couple of years. Ed, your influence on my life. <laughs> and, and I said that, and, uh, and somebody, and, and I was talking about how, you, you know, sometimes you'll, you know, you put a rub on it, or sometimes you marinate that meat, and you know, some apple juice or something, you know, and you get that, and then you start cooking in that sweet aroma. And so, and so I, I, but then after the service, somebody comes up to me, he says, when you said you were smoking meat, I thought you said you were smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten into smoking weed, I have to tell you guys. <laughs> Try to be a little more distinct in my speech. Um, Fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. That's where Paul had been. Now, he t and then he talks about where he's going, verse 8. He says, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a crown, Paul says. It's reserved for me. Jesus has reserved it for me. A royal, not the royal crown, the diadem, but the Stephanus, the laurel wreath for the, the winner of the race. The crown of righteousness. Jesus is going to give me the permanent, perfect state of righteousness, Paul says. And it's not just to him, but to all those who've loved his appearing. We, that's going to be, sin will be a thing of the past. That's where Paul's going. That's his future. That's the completion of his life. What a way to end it. And then he closes out the book with the conditions. As Paul's writing, we know he's in prison. Tradition tells us he's in a maximum security prison called the Tullianum. It's where the enemies of Rome awaited execution. I think we've got a picture of it here. It's a dark, damp dungeon. And he writes about how things are going. 
Now, we're not going to read through it, but in the closing verses, Paul tells Timothy several things that let us know some of what he's experiencing. He, he writes about, about how he wishes Timothy to come. He's in this dungeon prison. He wants Timothy to come as soon as possible. Towards the end, he, he says, make every effort to come before winter. And he tells Timothy, when you come, hey, bring my cloak. Think of a poncho, okay? A heavy poncho with a hole in the middle for the head, no sleeves. That's what we're talking about. A heavy garment to go over his head. And I read a phrase like that and I just think, oh, so humbling. There's a great apostle Paul. He's down in this dungeon where it's damp and probably cold. He's asking Timothy to come before winter, bring my coat. His life's about to end. Bring my coat. Not great physical conditions. We're also told that everybody except Luke has left. He's essentially alone. We're told Demas has left having loved this present world. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? It doesn't make it any less disappointing or discouraging to see someone walk away, but that must have and it must have been that way for Paul. He's alone, except for Luke. He wants Timothy to come, not only because he wants his coat, he wants Timothy to come so someone else is there. He also wants Timothy to bring his books. He says, especially the parchments. Don't know for sure, but scholars think what he's asking for are copies from the Old Testament and collections of Christ's sayings. Here he is, he's about to die, and he wants to keep reading. Even though his life is almost over and he's in this terrible place, he still wants to soak in God's word. And he warns him, hey, watch out for Alexander. He did me much harm. Be careful, Timothy. He says, at my pretile hearing, no one stood with me. He's there. Everyone deserted him. He's completely alone. Those were the conditions that Paul was facing. Not, not easy conditions. He's cold. He's alone. He's deserted by friends. People are trying to harm him. He's facing death. But then he tells us this in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the mouth, out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But the Lord stood, that's all that matters, isn't it? 
the Lord stood with me and he will rescue me, not from death, but through death. Here's Paul, he, and in this terrible situation, these terrible conditions, he had a settled contentment simply because the Lord stood with him. What about us? In our borrowed time, if your life ended tomorrow, is his presence enough? Is just knowing Jesus enough? If everyone deserted you, if others harmed you, if you lost everything you'd ever owned, if you were in a cold, damp dungeon, and if your circumstances were terrible as your time on earth ran out, would his presence be enough? Let's do what we were commanded to do. The ministry he gave you, whatever it is, do that ministry. Do it fully. Let's complete the job we've been given. And let's be satisfied with him, no matter what our conditions look like. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, There is no better way to live life and in life to know him. To know that if you're alone or going through terrible circumstances or if you're dying, that he's standing with you. No better way. To know your sins are forgiven and you've got an eternity that's guaranteed because of his love for you. If you haven't ever taken that step of knowing that your sins are forgiven and you're right with God, you can take that step right now. Just turn it quietly in your own heart and mind. Tell him, put it in your own words, but tell him basically that you know you're a sinner, that you're guilty before him, that you can't fix that yourself and you need, you're deserving of judgment but you're asking for mercy. You're asking for grace. And you're doing that based on the fact that you know Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. So you're asking him based on Jesus' sacrifice and by faith alone, without any works of your own, to come into your life and forgive you. And when you take that step and you ask him that sincerely, he will come into your life. He'll forgive your sin. He'll walk with you through life. There's no better way to live life than with him. I'd encourage you to take this. If you have questions about it, you can come and talk to any one of our pastors at any time. We would love to talk with you about that. Take that step. Christian, what's God called you to? What's God called you to? Do your ministry. Do your ministry. Finish it. No matter what life brings to you, do what God has called you to do. Complete the job.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for forgiving us and allowing us to know you and to walk through life with you. God, I pray for anyone that might be here that hasn't taken that initial step of faith. God, they would take that step now. Give them strength and give them grace to do that. Father, as your children, help us to represent you well in this world. We don't know what the days ahead will bring us. We don't know how difficult it may be. We don't know what's coming. We don't know how long this life will last. God, pray that we would do what you've called us to do. We'd finish the job. Through your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.